Our scripture for this morning comes from the book of Philippians, chapter 2, verses 1 through 12. I'll be reading from the New Revised Standard Version. If then there is any encouragement in Christ, any consolation from love, any sharing in the Spirit, any compassion and sympathy, make my joy complete. Be of the same mind, having the same love, being in full accord and of one mind. Do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility regard others as better than yourselves. Let each of you look not to your own interest, but to the interest of others. Let the same mind be in you that was in Christ Jesus, who, though he was in the form of God, did not regard equality with God as something to be exploited, but emptied himself, taking the form of a slave, being born in human likeness. And being found in human form, he humbled himself and became obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. Therefore, God also highly exalted him and gave him the name that is above every name, so that at the name of Jesus every knee should bend in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue should confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Therefore, my beloved, just as you have always obeyed me, not only in my presence, but much more now in my absence, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling, for it is God who is at work in you, enabling you both to will and to work for his good pleasure. The word of God for us this morning. Thanks be to God. What brings us joy? What is it that truly brings you joy? I mean deep joy, lasting joy. In a world with so many problems, a pandemic, political elections going on, working from home, learning from home, um, and so many other concerns, what is it that still brings you joy? What brings that joy to your heart that really is lasting and pervasive in your life, that really continues to last? I think this is a very important question because we are called to rejoice in the Lord. In the book of Philippians, which is where our scripture comes from today, we find Paul, who was an encourager, an instructor, a teacher to the Philippians, always telling them to rejoice. And if you take the word rejoice, it basically means to experience joy again. It presumes, if you read the word carefully, that you have already experienced joy. You would not tell somebody who has not experienced joy to rejoice. It would not make any sense. They can't re-experience something they've never experienced before. And so when Paul writes for them to rejoice, he's really presuming that they have already known the joy of the Lord that we have already known the joy of God's salvation, that we have already known the joy of the salvation that we have in Christ, that we have already received the joy of His grace, and that we are intimately aware of the joy of God's providence and provision. All of this joy, 
He is assuming that we have already experienced in our lives. And so when he says rejoice, he's saying go back to that joy that you have experienced already in your life and relive it, re-experience it, go through it again. Paul, in writing to the Philippians, asked them to make his joy complete. The joy that he already has in the Lord, the joy that he already has in having been able to share the gospel with them, the joy that he has in knowing that they are saved in Jesus Christ, he wants them to make that joy complete. And what would complete Paul's joy? What would really make this joy complete, he says, is them having the same mind and same love that Christ has. He says, if you are all in one accord with one mind in Christ, that will make my joy complete. That will really make my day. And I have to tell you that I agree with him. If you're a pastor, if you're a leader of a congregation or a ministry, nothing would make you have more joy than knowing that the people in that group or in that church, in that ministry, are together with the mind of Christ in one accord, continuing to follow the will of God. What he was saying was that it would bring him such great joy to know they were united and in agreement in Christ, that they were united in love, that they were united in faith, and that being united in these things, he was confident would bring about fruitful ministry and growth for the kingdom. Now, if you are united in love and have the same mind of Christ, you will do nothing from selfish ambition because you are having the mind of Christ. And therefore, you are trying to look for the interest of others. You are living your life in ways that show others the love of God. And because you have the mind of Christ and Christ was not selfish, then you won't be selfish. You see, Jesus was the perfect example of humility. Even though he was in the form of God and he was equal to God, he did not take this as something to be exploited. And instead, we are told in Scripture that he chose to empty himself taking the form of a slave, being born in human likeness. So the first sign of Jesus' humility is that even though he was fully God, even though he had all the power and the privileges of being God, he chose to limit himself by becoming human and coming to this earth as one of us. It must have taken a lot to decide to take human form and to know that that would bring suffering and pain, that he would have to experience the things that we experience that are difficult. Jesus would know what it means to be hungry, what it means to lose a loved one. He would know what it means to grieve for others. So this first sign of Jesus' humility is very important because he left it all behind to come and be born as one of us. Jesus could have easily stayed in heaven. He did not need to come for his sake. If there wasn't anything that he was lacking or missing. He was God. He was complete and fulfilled in the Holy Trinity. 
He came for you and for me. He came in obedience to the Father and chose to come into the world because he knew that you and I needed a Savior. He knew that you and I needed him to come. And Jesus didn't even come into the world expecting everybody to just welcome him with open arms. You see, because he was God, he knew, in fact, many would reject him. He knew that even those he came to save would mistreat him, that they would turn him over to the Romans and that he would be killed. He knew these things because he was God. And he still came. He still chose to come. The second sign of Jesus' humility was his willingness to be obedient to the point of death. I'm going to say that again. His second sign of humility is his willingness to be obedient to the point of death. Now, if I asked you, would you be obedient to God if he asked you to do something? You probably would say, oh, yeah, yeah. If God asked me to do something and I knew it was God, I would, I would do it. I would obey God. But if I ask you, are you willing to do whatever God calls you to do, even if it means losing your life? That would probably cause you to pause and think about it. It might bring some hesitation into your heart. You see, often when God tells us to do things, we, we want to know the details of how everything will play out, but that usually isn't the way God works. He just tells us to do something, to take steps in faith, to trust him, and to follow his will even when we don't know where his will will lead. And that means that we have to be willing to be obedient even unto death. Are there things in our lives that we are willing to put to death to follow what Jesus is calling us to be? Are we willing to go wherever Jesus calls us, even if it means losing this earthly life? What is it that you need to be obedient to God in unto death right now? What is God asking you to give up in order to follow Jesus? Is there selfishness or ambition? Is there greed or envy? Is there any jealousy or anger in your heart that needs to go, that needs to die so that you can really follow Jesus' example? And are you willing to let it die so that Jesus Christ can live in you? I think these are the things that Paul is alluding to when he talks about the humility of Christ. Christ was willing to do everything the Father asked of him, even going to the cross to redeem us from our sins? Are we able to pray as Jesus did in the Garden of Gethsemane? Lord, pass this cup from me, but not my will, but yours be done. Often we don't pray that way. We pray quite differently, right? Lord, this is my will. Please let it be done. That's how we pray. We ask God to just do what we want. But are we willing to really be obedient unto death by praying, God, thy will be done in my life. When Jesus took human form, he didn't take any shortcuts. He wasn't born fully, fully grown as an adult. 
He came as a baby to experience life as we do from birth to death. He came and lived in a humble manner by being born the son of a carpenter. He did all of this so that he could set an example for us of what humility looks like. God could have chosen anyone to be the mother and the father of Jesus. He could have had him born in a palace or in a, in a wealthy family where he never had any want or need for any pleasures or desires in this life. But instead, Jesus was born in a humble manger. He was born in a stable, in the place that showed that he would be a humble king. Again, he did this for us. He did this to save us. He did this to redeem us, to forgive us, to show us how to do things, to show us how to love. You see, he loved us unconditionally, and he did all of these things for our sake, not for his sake. He didn't need to do them for his sake. As I said, he was already God. He did it because of God's great love for us and because God the Father instructed him to do it. He was obedient unto death, and he chose to do it in this way. And in doing so, Jesus gave us the example of what it really means to be humble, to serve others, and to seek others' interest. If you really pay attention to what I've been saying, you will find that humbleness is directly tied to obedience. It is a willingness to do what you are told, trusting that the one who has called you knows what is best for you. Jesus trusted the plan that God the Father had put into place. Jesus, being God, knew the heart of the Father. He knew that the Father wanted to save us all. He knew that the Father wanted to redeem us from our sins. He knew that the Father wanted to offer us eternal life. And the Son, Jesus, being obedient to the Father, makes this all possible by choosing to be born as a human being, to live and to die in a way that shows us the true love of God. In a way, Jesus makes God's joy complete in a similar way to how Paul wants the Philippians to make his joy complete. Paul's desire was for us as Christians to remain united in Jesus Christ, in his love, in his word, and in his plan to save the world. He wanted this to happen, and this has not changed. This is still what God desires from us. God still wants us to humbly regard others as better than ourselves so that we can humbly share the gospel and the good news of Jesus Christ. If you regard someone as better than yourself, then you will not underestimate them you will not underappreciate them. If you regard someone as better than yourself, then you will not mistreat them. You will not abuse them or take advantage of them. If you regard someone as better than yourself, you will trust them and treat them with justice, with fairness, in ways that are equitable and right. 
Think about it. If we regarded everyone as better than ourselves, we would show them more respect, more love, and more honor. The world would be a better place if everyone regarded everyone else as better than themselves. But we know that's not the case, is it? So many people look down on others. They look down on that person for whom Jesus Christ died on the cross. And Paul was saying, as Christians, we cannot do that. We get in trouble when we start thinking about ourselves as better than everyone else. When we get prideful, our love diminishes because we are too busy loving ourselves and looking out for number one, ourselves, instead of loving others. We become selfish and self-centered and we lose sight of the call to love our neighbor as ourselves. When you think too highly of yourselves, then you have a problem being obedient. Have you ever thought about something that you had to do and thought, you know, this really is beneath me. I shouldn't have to do this. Have you been there? Because if you thought that at some point in your life, if you thought, you know, I'm just too good to be doing this. I'm just too talented. My talents are being wasted doing this. I could be doing something else, something better. Maybe, just maybe, you thought too highly of yourself at that moment. Jesus gives us the example of how to be humble in that he being God, he being God, he still chose to come down and be one of us and live humbly. He being God got down on the floor and washed his disciples' feet. He being God, he cured lepers from their leprosy. He being God talked to prostitutes. He being God talked to people cut in sin and offered redemption. So if Jesus being God still took time to deal with those who are rejected and marginalized, if he himself being God was willing to stay on the cross and not call an army of angels to destroy those who were crucifying him, if he being God was willing to lay down his life for us, then we need to also Learn to be obedient unto death, being willing to lay down our lives for the cause of the gospel. You know, God exalted the name of Jesus above every other name, not because Jesus was God, but because Jesus was obedient unto death, because he carried out the plan of salvation for the world because he was willing to be the perfect sacrifice because he loved us that much. That is why God exalted his name. So God exalted him and gave him a name that is above every other name so that at the name of Jesus, every knee should bend in heaven and on earth and even under the earth and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. It was Jesus' obedience and humbleness that received God's praise.
You might be thinking that God should exalt you for what you do or for how much you give or for what you bring to the table in terms of your gifts and your talents. But God will exalt you for your obedience, for your love, and for your faith instead. It is these things that God looks for. He looks at the heart and what really is inside of you. He loves you for being you and not because of anything you give him. What he really wants is you. He wants you and I to be obedient and in whatever he calls us to do, he wants us to give a resounding yes. He wants us to say, yes, I want to seek your will. Yes, I want to follow in whatever direction you point me. Yes, and I want to do it, not because of obligation, but because I love you, because you love me first. This is why Paul invites the Philippians to obey him as they have always obeyed him when he was with them. Because through obedience and humility, he says they would be able to work out their own salvation with fear and trembling. And before we think that they could do everything to save themselves by themselves, what he says here is that they do so with fear and trembling. Fear and trembling because it is not their doing. It is something that they knew God was doing with them and through them. It was God through Jesus Christ that was saving them, but they still needed to work out that salvation. They needed to continue to stay in the faith. They needed to continue to be of one mind. They needed to continue to stay in God's love and they needed to continue to regard others as better than themselves. They needed to stay firm in that faith even if Paul was not there to oversee them and they needed to keep their focus on spreading the gospel of Jesus Christ. Paul recognized that even our obedience to God was only possible because God had enabled us through grace to have the strength and the willpower to follow Jesus. Did you know that? We can't follow Jesus on our own. We actually need Jesus to follow Jesus. We need his grace. We need his power. We need his forgiveness in order to be able to follow his example and to spread his good news and to build his kingdom. So even our obedience to God's will is a gift from God who gives us that strength and that power to be disciples and followers of Jesus Christ. So today, like Paul, I ask you to make my joy complete, to continue to be of the same mind, of the same love, and of the same faith that we have in Jesus Christ and to regard others as better than yourselves, and to continue to humbly follow Jesus every day, even as we are apart. Even as the pastor is not over your shoulder, check on you. Continue to do what is right before God and to walk humbly before him. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, I just thank you. I thank you for the opportunity to be followers of Jesus Christ, for his example of humbleness, 
for his illustration of how to live a life that is righteous before you, for his love for each and every one of us that he would choose to come into this earth. We ask, O oh Lord, that you will help us to take every step in faith, knowing that when you call us, you will guide us and direct us, you will provide for our needs, and you will sustain us. We pray these things in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen.